This morning's scripture reading is from the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, all the way through verse 10. Since it is a slightly longer passage, I will read it as you feel free to follow along either on the screen or your copy of the Word of God. It says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of God, of our God and Father. Knowing, brothers, beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the, Lord, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone so that we have no need to say anything for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turn to God from idols to serve a true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he has raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Our Father, we, as we read your word this morning, we are reminded of so many different principles, so many than we could ever, than we could ever discuss in one setting. So rich and so free is your grace. And Father, it's appropriate that we would sing about our desperate need for you right before we come into your word. Because it is your word that gives us instruction, that gives us um, the way of life, Lord, and you and you only are found the words of life. And so as we come into this time, we pray that you will move our hearts. Lord, you are the ancient of days. You are the sovereign God of all the universe. You are sure and steady. Your word does not change to the whims of, of uh, cultural acceptance or anything like that. And so, Father, we pray as we Come into your time and your word. We would move our distractions. We would set aside this time as a holy time, that this is holy ground, for we are hearing your word. Move me aside, Lord, that your people will be sanctified because you are taking your word and implanting it in their hearts. Lord, whatever I've studied that is not consistent, remove it. Lord, whatever I have not studied that you want to say, bring it. And Father, to all ends, may you receive the glory here today. It is in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated, and while you're being seated, I want to remind you of the Pastor James Coates in Canada. Just very quickly, he is the, he's the pastor that, uh, he's a master seminary grad who was under arrest for refusing to stop uh, meeting as a church, um, even though the rules up there are arbitrary and, and ridiculous. And so they released him, which was good, but now the province has seized the church grounds. 
and they have put fence around it and they have uh, made it to where the church cannot gather in their building. And so, uh, so we do wanna continue to pray for uh, Grace Life Church and uh, I believe they're in Edmonton, Canada. Uh, you can read about that online. We do wanna continue to pray for them. Also, you may have noticed that I'm in the New American Standard this morning. Uh, I asked one of my uh, friends a couple weeks ago, uh, Brother Stacy over at first, I said, let me ask you a question. What, what translation do you preach from? He said, uh, sometimes I preach from the NIV, sometimes from the ESV, and sometimes from the Holman. So it just kind of depends on uh, which mood I'm in that week. And I thought, well, if he can rotate between three, then maybe I can rotate, I can get away with rotating between the New American Standard and ESV. So, uh, so anyway, but we are in the New American Standard this morning in the pulpit, but Amen. we are in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter one. And as you know, we've been going through a, a uh, rather lengthy series about what is the theology of church ministry. I know uh, to some, it may seem that we're just kind of jumping here and jumping there and doing this, but there is a method to the madness, and that is that we are looking at from the very start what is our ultimate goal as a church, which is to glorify God. That's gotta be the very first thing we talk about because if we don't have the right purpose down, if we don't have the right goal down, then really nothing else is gonna matter. And so we are going the direction that we wanna go. We're, we're, we're uh, wanting to glorify God in everything that we do. And then, but of course, we talked about how you and I, as, as, uh, as redeemed sinners, we cannot glorify our way to heaven. We cannot worship our way to heaven. But God has provided the provision for us to glorify himself, and that is through Jesus Christ. And so we saw that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. And then, of course, how does he do that? How, how does he bring Christ to the world? He does that through the church. And we saw that the, he gave gifts to the church, gifts of those who are gifted to do ministry and, and help the church reach that goal of glorifying him through the sufficiency of the word, through the sufficiency of the gifts that he has given to us. And what does the church do with that? The church does three primary things. We, we are devoted to the apostles' teachings, as we saw in Acts chapter two, to worship uh, and to prayer. And so we saw that. And in all of those things that we do, what is the content of that? What are we pointing everybody to? We're pointing them to the life and to the person and to the work of Jesus Christ that he died for our sins, he is our prophet, he is our priest, and he is our king. And we want to give the fullness of Christ to the fullness of our church and the fullness of you. We want the whole Christ in our whole lives. And so the question is now, what do we do? How do we get down to the brass tacks? What does this look like in, in everyday church work? What does this look like in ministry? What is our goals? We, we said that our, our aim is that we will be, that you will be mature in Jesus Christ. That is our goal. Our goal is not for you just to be saved. Our goal is for you to be saved, but not only to be saved, but our goal is discipleship. Our goal is to train you to be mature in Christ so that you will be Christ-like and in turn, you will glorify God in your lives. And if you ask everybody, if you ask people, what does Christian maturity look like? 
Well, you're liable to get a lot of different answers. Uh, for some people, it means that you're a bulldog ready to defend the faith at all cost. For others, it means you're a social activist. For others, it means that you're, a, you're an astute, clear-thinking, uh, deep, reflective person. You know, you're a, you're a theologian. You're a seminary professor-like kind of person, idea. For others, it's that you're basically a monk. You know, you'll, you'll come up to someone, brother, mm, and they always put that mm in there. Brother, I was in my third quiet time today. It's just like, you win. <laughs> uh, you had more than I did, you know. So, so what does maturity look like? And as we look in the scriptures, we find that there are three cardinal virtues that are mentioned over and over again in the scriptures. And they're in this text as well. Did you hear it? In verse three. Paul is thankful, continually giving thanks to the Thessalonian church. Why? He's constantly bearing in mind what? Their work of faith, their labor of love, and what else? Their steadfastness of hope, right? Or patience, as some translations may read. Long-suffering, but, but hope. That three, those three summarizing characteristics of the mature Christian life— Faith, hope, and love. And what does the mature Christian look like? What does a mature Christian look like? It looks like someone who is growing and developing and mature in those three aims. Work works that are produced by faith, toil that is produced by love, and steadfastness, endurance, perseverance that is produced by hope. And what I love about 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2, and, uh, 2 through 10, is that we have a wonderful summary of what those look like in the life of the church. The, the Thessalonian church was an amazing church. It was actually very young. We estimate that by the time Paul wrote this letter, it was no more than three months old. Less than three months ago, Paul had been in Thessalonica, and he had to leave because he fell under such severe persecution. Thessalonians was a, was by all measures should have been a very immature church, so much so that Paul was actually scared for them that when he had to leave, he was, he was thinking that they had gone back and that the church had just kind of dissipated. And when he finally got to a point where he couldn't stand it anymore, he sent Timothy back to see what they were doing. And Timothy comes back with this amazing report that not only is the church still there, they are thriving. And Paul is so excited about that that he writes this letter to them, this wonderful letter of 1 Thessalonians. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of a church that would make Paul excited. Amen? Don't you want to be a part of that church? I don't want to be a part of a church that Paul would look at and go, oh dear. <laughs> he had to do that with several churches. Uh, there's a church uh, between, um, between Pine Bluff and Sheridan that I would always pass. It was called Corinth Baptist Church. And I would always think to myself, who in the world would name their church after Corinth? <laughs> but they did, so whatever. But, you know, I don't want to be a church that, that Paul looks at and says, oh dear, I want to be part of a church that would make Paul excited. 
And what does that church look like? And he gives us those principles in this first chapter. And then he, and then he fleshes them out through the rest of the chapter. And so what I want to see this morning is that when we are growing in Christ, when we are moving in Christ, when we reach maturity in Christ, we will display these three cardinal Christian virtues and we will be growing in them, faith, hope, and love. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about each one and what that looks like in this text. And so this morning, we're going to see that in order to reach maturity in Christ, we must grow in knowing the faith, knowing the faith. You may remember our, the kind of a, the thing that we use in Calvary actually comes from this. And you've, you've probably seen it, knowing the faith, living the faith, sharing the faith, right? And so this is where we get this from. This is where we have derived those things from. And so the first goal, our goal for each and every one of you at Calvary Baptist Church is so that you will know the faith, that you will live the faith, and that you will share the faith. That's our goal. And we want each and every person in Calvary to be growing in those things. And so this morning, our aim is so that you will know the faith. And how can we do that? And Paul gives us four characteristics of the ministry of the word in which he came to the Thessalonians. And they're all concentrated in verse five. And so we're going to look at verse five this morning, kind of camp out on that verse. And then we're going to flesh out the rest of the text in the coming weeks. But in verse five, he says that our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And that's where I wanna stop this morning. I just wanna camp out right there. And so Paul talks about his ministry of the word among them. He wrote that uh, when we came to you and gave you the word, what made you such a strong church is that when we came, our word came with these four characteristics, these four characteristics attributes. So for you to know the faith, our goal is to do these four. Number one, when they came, their gospel came in word. It came in word. He says, our, our gospel, when it came to you, it did not come in word only. So uh, now I realize that this is being somewhat de-emphasized in the verse, but, but the word only there is key. Of course, when he came, the gospel came in words. It had to. Otherwise, they would not have been able to really share it with anyone. I mean, they're not mind readers. They're not any of those things. And so their gospel came in word. It came in the teaching and in the instruction and in the ministry of the word. And I want you to see, first of all, that, that as he does this, that we must, as a church, have the right message. We must have the right message. Hmm, that's pretty dark. Okay, you guys can see it better than I can, okay. So we must have the right message. He says here that when we came, our gospel did not come to you. He says our gospel of first importance that we know the faith is that we must know the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good 
news. The term gospel would have been very familiar with the Thessalonians because back in that day, this word, uh, euangelizo, evangel, the evangel or evangelism is what we've derived from it, was actually, uh, it, what it meant was, is that when your king was, was far off fighting a war, fighting a battle, and the king won the battle, which, which won the freedom of the citizens of that town, someone would run back and carry the message of victory to the people that our king has won the war. This would have been a term that's very familiar with the Thessalonian church. And the good news is that we are now the messengers that our king has won the war against sin. He has won the battle. The good news is that our king has won the victory for us. He has defeated our enemies, sin, hell, death, and the grave. And Paul came to Thessalonica. He proclaimed that news. And this is the news that we carry. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins and won our forgiveness, that he rose from the grave and that he brings new life for us, and that he has ascended to the right hand of God. And he now rules over us as a wonderful, gracious, and loving, and merciful king and a high priest. This is our gospel, and we see this broadly, but it also includes all the preaching and teaching among them, that all the implications that flew from the gospel, that flows out of the gospel, that when the gospel comes into your life, this is the changes that it makes. This is the way uh, that we live in a way that adorns the gospel, a righteous life that is empowered by the Spirit. And so we preach the right message, but we also preach it in the right manner. Because while, yes, he did bring the word, he does say that he did not come in word only. He doesn't come in word only. That word only, or maybe some of your translations say simply, is very important to notice there. You make sure we don't miss it. I mean, of course, again, the gospel does have to come in words. Uh, somebody said one time, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. I don't know who said it, but it's stupid. It's, you have to preach the gospel in words. How else will you do it, right? And so, but it doesn't come in words only. He's talking about the way that he came. He's talking about the manner in which he preached the message. In fact, if you look at some passages, look in 1 Thessalonians 2, 5, just turn the page for most of us. He says, for we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for, for greed. We also see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. He says, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In other words, he didn't try to impress them with his speaking ability. You know, some people think that, boy, I would have loved to have listened to Paul. Actually, the evidence we, we have in the scripture shows that Paul was really not, would have been considered a very effective public speaker. And yet his words, his preaching did not come in human wisdom. It didn't come in human power. It came through the spirit and through power. We give them God's word, but we give it in a godly way. What does that look like? Well, Look down through 1 Thessalonians chapter two. He fleshes this out a little bit. Verse seven, but we prove to be gentle among you. The word came through gentleness. Verse eight, 
having so fond of an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but our own lives. It's an investment. Verse 11 is key. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, as he preached the word, he did it in a godly manner, which included imploring, encouraging, exhorting. During COVID, I watched some preaching seminars online and one of the guys says, one of the problems with a lot of preaching today has become, is that we've become too prideful to beg. We've become too prideful to beg people to come, beg people to hear the word of the Lord, beg people to hear the word of Christ. And so imploring, exhorting, encouraging, all of that. So our goal is to instruct you in the gospel and the implications that flow from it so that you may live in a way that adorns the gospel in your life. So what's that mean for you when you come to church? Well, obviously, we want you to grow in the knowledge and understanding of the word. We want you to grow in how you understand the word. We want you to know the word. But not just that. We don't want you to just have facts about the Bible. But we, we, we don't want it so that you can just win Bible trivia. We want you to know the word so that you will know God through the word. And you cannot know God except through his word. Any other God you're chasing is a God of your imaginations. And so you cannot know God except through what he has revealed to us in his word. And we want you to know that word. So their gospel came in word, but it also came in power. It also came in power. I'm not gonna spend as much time on the rest of these, but it did come in power. In fact, there's actually a debate as to what Paul is talking about here. Paul, he says, when I came to you in power, uh, some people suggest that, um, that when Paul came to them, he's talking and referring to miracles and miracle type ministry here. That Paul says that when I came to you, I came not in word only, but I also came with miracles so that you could see the gospel. And a lot of people will take that today and they'll say that in order for the gospel to be authentic, it must be accompanied by signs and miracles. In fact, I ran across a, uh, a Facebook post of my friend, Bill Johnson, pastor of Bethel, church in Redding, California, and the leader of Jesus Culture. And this is one reason why we don't use their music here, by the way. And so, but here's what he says, and I don't know if you can see that or not, but there at the bottom, he says, the gospel requires miracles to be fully preached. That's, that's the kind of theology coming out of that church and that music. Now, let me say this, yes. It is true that the word translated power here can be translated as miracles. That is true in all, in all intellectual honesty. That is true. But when Paul uses it this way, it is never singular. It is always plural. Always, no exceptions. And if it is an exception here, it is the one exception. 
And so instead, I, I think it's better to look at what is Paul talking about? Is he talking about miracles? No, there's no contextual evidence for that. What is he talking about here? What kind of power is he referring to? And I think what we see primarily the power that he's talking about is found in verse nine, where he says that we have, they themselves report what kind of reception we had with you, how you turned to God from your idols to serve a living and true God. That is the power that comes from the true preaching of God's word. And that's the kind of power we want in this church, amen? We want you to turn from your sin. The power that we're talking about here that comes from the word is the power so that you can forsake sin in your life. The primary impact the word had on the Thessalonians first and foremost is that they turn from their idols. They turn from their false gods. And yes, in this context, we're talking about literal wooden and stone statues. But the fact of the matter is that all of us struggle with a heart of idolatry. All of us struggle with a heart that goes after things other than God. Calvin said, our hearts are a perpetual manufacturer, a factory of idols. We are producing them all the time. They can be good or bad things on the surface. They can be very noble. And yet they begin to ride up the escalator to the throne of our hearts. And they begin to take the place of God as the number one thing that we worship and adore. Anything that we love more than Christ, anything that we pursue more than Christ, anything that we, that we adore more than Christ is an idol that needs to be forsaken. And the word of God gives us the power to forsake it. And listen, it may not be a bad thing. It may be a good thing. It may be your family. It may be your job. It may be whatever it is. It may, it may even be Calvary Baptist Church. It may be the good old days, or it may be whatever it is, but anything that we are more committed to than the cause of Jesus Christ. It, the problem is not that we love those things. The problem is that we love them too much, and that's a recipe for disaster. In fact, if you want to know where the, where the idols are in your life, you know, we can't always see them. If you want to know where the idols are in your life, just follow the chaos, because that's usually where you'll find them. That's usually where you'll find them. And so the power to forsake sin, that's the kind of power we want at Calvary. We want you to know the word so that you will know how to forsake sin and so that you will have the power to know Christ. We don't, we don't, want, to, we don't want you to just forsake sin and then be a blank slate and then just start over. We want you to forsake sin, yes, but we want you to turn to Christ, both in salvation and in sanctification and in holiness, the power to know Christ. Kyle Eidelman, the pastor, uh, excuse me, the, the author of the book, God's at War, he says that the only way to forsake something we love is to replace it with a greater love. The only way to replace a love in our life is to, the only way to forsake it, excuse me, is to replace it with a greater love. And beloved, the only way to forsake idolatry is to love Christ more. And the way we grow to love Christ is by knowing him deeper and more through his word. 
That's how we grow to love Christ. Ephesians chapter three, verses 18 and 19. You can write this down, look at it later, but Paul is praying and he says, I pray that you may have the power, you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Can you imagine what an, what an idol-free life would look like? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the power that would be in a church that is idol-free? I mean, just amazing. Will it ever happen? Not completely, not perfectly, not in this life. But one day we will. We will know that when we are carried away in the presence of the Lord. Ladies, do you remember back in the day, maybe your husband was overseas at war, maybe in the military or something like that, and it was all for training, and, and maybe you wrote him a letter, and maybe you sprayed your letter with just a little bit of perfume so that when he opened the letter, your fragrance would come out and he would smell it. Did he, do you, any of you ever do that? Uh, Roxanne and I emailed whenever we were dating and I tried spraying my cologne all over the keyboard one time. It didn't quite do the same thing. In fact, all it did was make me need a new keyboard. But, but you know, when he would open that letter that your, your fragrance would just come and, and he would remember you, right? And beloved, when we open God's word and we, and we take away all the worldly wisdom, we don't make it uh, say anything about pop psychology or spiritual get rich schemes or any of those things. But when we open the word of God and we just let it breathe, the fragrance of God comes out of it. And we know God and we love him more. And we find the power to forsake the idols in our lives. We find the strength. So what's this mean for us? Our goal is to help you and to call you to not only know the word, but, but to submit to its power. Let it have its impact on your life. Beloved, if, if you come to read the Bible with no expectation of needing to change, no beliefs to adjust, no sin to confess, no change in your life or attitude. If you come to the Bible with nothing more than a license to live any way you want to, then you're not placing yourself under the Bible's authority, you're placing the Bible under your authority. That's a precarious place to be. Let the word have its impact in your life. Let that power come forth. Approach it in humility, not in pride. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, here's the good news. You can't. You can't do that, not without help. And the good news is, is that God has given us help. Because you see, the word came not only in word, it not only came in power, but it also, when they came to Thessalonica, they came with the word in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is our divine help. The gospel says, uh, Paul says that the gospel came to the Thessalonians in power and in the Holy Spirit. And, and I want you to understand something here, that when we say scripture alone, that we believe in scripture alone, sola scriptura, 
When we say that the scriptures are sufficient for everything we need for life and godliness in this world and in the next, I want you to understand, or excuse me, not misunderstand what we're talking about. That we don't mean primarily just so that you will know facts about the Bible. That you will know facts about what the Bible says that you will have an, merely an intellectual assent to the words of Scripture. Please don't understand what we're understanding. It's not to say that we, that we believe that simply reading the Bible or doing the ordinances or singing great scriptural songs are enough to bring you to Christ. As far, um, as far as what we do, as far as what we depend on, yes, but there must be another who comes along, along with the word, and that is the Holy Spirit. A lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit today. A lot of confusion. In fact, one of our next series is that we are going to uh, learn who the Holy Spirit is. We're gonna look at his work and we're gonna see how he works in your life. But for our purposes today and a couple of things as it pertains to understanding the faith, we just need to know that first of all, he is the source of our power. See, a lot of people who are running around today, there are a lot of people who, are, who know the scriptures well. They have verses memorized. You can study the historical aspect, the languages. You can study the cultural background of it. You can do all of that. But until the spirit takes the word and implants it on your heart, there is no change. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 he says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Beloved, don't read too fast over that one little phrase that the natural man cannot understand the things of God. He does not accept them. He can tell you all kinds of facts about it, he can even have an appreciation for the truths and the facts, <clears throat> excuse me, about scripture. I need to breathe, apparently. Air is optional. Um, he, can have an he can have an appreciation for truths and facts about the scriptures and all those things. James tells us even the demons know true facts about God. Doesn't help them much. You see, he cannot grasp their significance. They will not be applicable to him. They do not capture his heart. They do not cause him to love God anymore. They are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually appraised. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, Paul tells Timothy, think over what I say and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. It is the Lord who illumines our hearts to know him. In fact, you may remember Paul, uh, Peter's confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father in heaven, it is God who is the source of our power to know him and to know him and he is our sanctifying power. You see, he uses the word to transform us into holiness. 
He gives us a new heart to love God and to know God. He implants in us desires to please and obey God through his word. He makes us want to be more like Christ and then he helps us to do so. This is why Paul commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And and you need to understand what that terminology means. It doesn't mean that we're all empty cups that he has to fill up like a jar. But that word filled, it it refers to the controlling influence in your life. Like the Bible will say sometimes that so-and-so was filled with anger, right? And what that means is, is that the controlling influence at that moment was that person's anger, And Paul's saying, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit be the controlling influence behind what you think, behind how you act, behind what you desire, your heart, your mind, and your will. Let it all be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a command. You see, we cannot cause the Spirit to indwell us. That is a work of God. We cannot cause the Spirit to glorify us. That will be a work of God. But on the other hand, we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit and that we yield to him. That is a command that we must follow. He causes us to be born again and gives us a new heart to love Christ and know him and follow him in our life. So he's the source of our power and he's the sanctifying power in our hearts. So beloved, our goal is to teach the word so that the spirit can take that word and implant it in your hearts and use it to change you to be more like Jesus Christ. Our goal is to open the Bible and let it breathe so that the fragrance of God will fill your life and you'll know him and love him and change to be like him. That's what we want. That's our goal is to know the faith. So what does that mean for us? How do we do that? What can you do? You know, in one sense, God's word never returns void. It, it always accomplishes the purpose that it intends, whether it's a purpose for judgment or a purpose for salvation or a purpose in holiness. God's word never returns void. There is one sense in which that's true. But what can you do to bring about the power of the Holy Spirit in this church? Pray. 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 Pray, 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 pray. And pray some more. Pray every Sunday. Pray daily. Pray hourly. Pray without ceasing. Pray that the word will have an impact on the lives of who are hearing it. How is it that a church can hear the word of God over and over and over again, preached faithfully, and yet there is never any change, there's never any movement? I can't help but to wonder is because there is a severe lack of honest prayer. Some of that is just, you know, the sovereignty of God and his purposes, but I wonder if much of that is due to the prayerlessness of God's people. And so pray 
Pray, pray, pray. Pray that the word, that God will make his word powerful in our church. Pray for our Sunday school teachers. Pray for our small group leaders. Pray for our institute and our Zoom meetings. Pray to make his word powerful. Pray for the music leaders. Beloved, please pray for me. And then pray for your families. Pray for one another. Pray for each and every person under the sound of our ministry. Pray for all of those who are here. Pray for those who will hear the sermons online. Which, by the way, just so you know, that we have had several people coming to our church lately specifically because they've been listening online. And I'm so thankful that Mark does such a great job of getting the sermons out and I mean, I mean, it's going to be out by this afternoon. And, and there are others who have subscribed to the, to the podcast. Pray for those who are hearing it. Pray, 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 pray. And most of all, pray for your own reception of the word. Don't place yourself over the word. Place yourself under the word, under it, so that the Holy Spirit can then take your humility. He gives grace to the humble. But he resists the proud. Pray. Ask the Lord to make you receptive to the word. Ask him to give you discernment. You know, sometimes I'm wrong. Didn't get an amen there. Sometimes I'm wrong, right? That's all right, I'll say something about art later. But, you know, you need discernment. Pray for your discernment. If, If I say something wrong up here, you need to have the discernment. You need to have the grounding so that you will, you will pick it out. You can come to me and listen, I need you. You can come to me and say, you know, you said this, but, I'm, uh, but I wonder, right? You can do that. I'm not your priest. I'm your pastor. You can do that. I'm human. But pray, pray, ask him to give you understanding and, and, and ask him to make you strong in the word. What have I always said? My goal is not to build a big church. My goal is not to build a crowd My goal is to build a strong church. And in a strong church, we need two ingredients, prayer and the word, prayer and the word. And so our goal is so that you will know the power of the word of God. And beloved, I hope I make it clear so that you can. Uh, I've started a new program in, in preaching that will help me do this better. I want to be a better preacher, not to toot my own horn, but so that the word will be clearer for you. I want the word of God to breathe freely in this church. So pray for that. And then finally, and very quickly, because I'm pretty much out of time, their gospel came with full conviction. And and this is going to come naturally based on everything else. It's very quickly. It came with full belief. 1 Thessalonians chapter two. So for this reason, we constantly thank God in verse 13, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Love and I'm thankful every morning that when we come here and we I stand behind this sacred desk and proclaim the word, you accept it not as the word of men, but what the Bible really is, the word of God. 
And to the extent that I am faithful to scriptures, it is the word of God going forth. Now again, sometimes I can be mistaken, but this is what matters. It is the word of God and and this is what we have confidence in. This is what we have confidence in. They knew that this truth was nothing but absolute and total truth from heaven. They did not come to have their ears tickled. They did not hear, they did not come to have their uh, spiritual get-rich-quick schemes. They did not come to hear the wisdom of man, but they accepted it for what it was. It is the word of God, our source for knowing God. It is completely true in everything that it says. And that gives us the full boldness confidence in the word. Beloved, you will not get the duplicity of me saying one thing in the pulpit and then in a Sunday school class, well, I know I said this, but I really think this and said, no. We have full confidence in the word. We have the boldness of the word. And the more confident we are in God's word, the more we will withstand the trials and tribulations of life and the stronger our church will be. One of the worst things we can do and a sure sign of apostasy and death in the church is to lose our interest in the word, is to lose our interest in the Bible, to think that worldly wisdom has something better to say today than God does. If that's what you want, then go watch Oprah. But if you want the word of God, come to Calvary Baptist Church. Amen? That's what we want. And that's what I believe you want. And that's what God wants. And so our first aim at Calvary Baptist Church is that each and every person whom God has entrusted to us, whom God has deposited to us to invest, Our first aim is that you will know the faith. You will know it. You will love it. I've gone over my normal time, but I just want to ask, as we close things out this morning, let me ask you, in fact, why don't don't we all just bow our heads for a moment? Close our eyes. We're still not doing the traditional altar call because of COVID concerns, but... Let's just do it this way this morning. Let me ask you a question. Do you have an appetite for God's word? Do you have an insatiable hunger for his truth? An unyielding desire to know Christ more? If you don't, have you considered why that might be? Have you thought what that might say about your sinful condition? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ at all. And beloved, the first step of knowing the faith is to know Christ, know him in his fullness, know him in salvation, know him as Lord and Savior because he came to die on the cross for your sins so that you may know him. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And beloved, everlasting life is knowing Christ.
is knowing God. So as you are here this morning, if you don't know Christ, will you come to him this morning? I'll be here after service. I would love to talk to you. There's other men and women, faithful men and women in this church who have attended here for years, decades, who can tell you how you can know Christ. And if you're here this morning and you are saved, are you, are you suppressing that desire to know him more? Have you given your heart over to lesser things? Things that will not satisfy, things that are idols, things that will not make you holy. How is your appetite for the word? How is your hunger for Christ? Father, I pray as we come to this time of closing, Lord, I pray that this word has been effective, that your spirit has gone out, and that even now you are starting revival in the hearts of, of people, of your people, so that they may be more like you. Lord, may you take your word and may you use it so that your children are more like your son. And if there's one in here that does not know Christ, may you bring them to yourself this morning. May this be the prayer of our hearts that I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Let's stand and sing this song.